All right, y'all. So Matt and I had originally recorded this episode as a Patreon episode, but we decided since everybody was going to be home this week, self-quarantining, we would put out our Patreon bonus episode as a free bonus episode on our main channel. So this episode is some wild science experiments that I found and presented to Matt, um, and we had a good time with it. We enjoy doing this kind of stuff on our Patreon channel. So if you're interested, we have more on our Patreon channel that you can go listen to. In the intro to this episode, you'll hear us mention a series that we're doing on ghost hunting equipment. We haven't started that series yet. The first episode is supposed to drop this week. So just kind of ignore that as saying it's out already because it's not out. It's coming out. So if you're interested in hearing us discuss different types of ghost hunting equipment and the validity of each one of them and kind of how they work, we're going to be starting that on our Patreon channel. First episode probably dropping later this week. So just kind of understand that it was recorded after the other episode was, but we decided to put this up before due to extenuating circumstances. So y'all check this episode out. Stay home, be safe, and wash your hands. everybody we're back again and this time we're going to take a break from our series of ghost hunting equipment we're going to go do something that we've always done on our patreon channel yeah and you need to join us for our next ghost hunting uh, equipment episode because we're going to be talking about uh proton packs and positron colliders. So <laughs> it, it's going to be a great episode. It's going to be long. Um, we actually got our hands on some of the proton packs. So yeah, you, and and the and, and it, right there on the package it says don't cross the streams. It's weird, but <laughs> Matt and I are going to cross streams. It's just what we do. It's bonding. So. <laughs> All right. So what we got this time is I've kind of told Matt the preface of it, but haven't told him any of the other things in here. This is wild and sometimes gross science experiments that I've found. And there's a lot of these, so we could do like a volume two. <laughs> oh, this is going to be funny. Yeah. Uh, we could do a volume two because this is just like an intro into it here. I think there's a lot more that we could do. Um, but the first one is scientist lets insects live inside her. What? Yep. So... The sand flea, also known as the chigger flea, and it's not the same thing as the the chiggers that we've got in the south that live in grass. This These live in sand. Um, the, these insects are gross. Um, they burrow permanently into the skin of a warm-blooded host like a human where it swells, defecates, and produces eggs before dying four to six weeks later, still embedded in your skin. 
So, yeah, we know a lot about them, but until now, their sex (laughs) lives have been shrouded in mystery. Oh, well. But (laughs) this is something we needed to get to the bottom of so bad that a researcher in Madagascar was so interested in sand flea development that she let one of the bugs live inside her foot for two months. Oh, my God. So her observations of this paid off because she figured out that the parasites most likely have sex when the females are already inside your body. So <laughs> this, is, this is terrible. It's making me uncomfortable. Yeah. It's making my foot itch. Yeah, I know, dude. It, the whole time I was doing this research, I was itching and scratching, and it was just weird. Uh, so if you why? can imagine just having, uh, allowing an insect to grow within you, it just voluntarily seems gross to me. I had a yeah. I had a biology teacher in high school. Um, she was in my AP biology teacher, and uh, she said in her college class, you could sign a waiver and ingest a tapeworm, and then allow the tapeworm to grow inside of you, and then take another pill later at the end of the semester, poop it out and measure the length of your tapeworm. And she said she won because hers was like six feet long. And I'm like, This nope. seems extraordinarily dangerous. It does, right? I just, I don't, I hope they got paid. I, I don't know that they did. I think it was an elective. <laughs> Look, if you can choose well, to let this I, thing yeah, grow I better, inside I better, of you. I better get an A. That's all I'm saying. No if I'm joke. A, if I'm gonna put a tapeworm in me, I better get an A. But, right. You know. Well, maybe you had a few extra pounds that you just couldn't get off, and you're like, "I need a tapeworm." I, you know, I've thought about that here recently. I'm getting a well, little pudgy. You you need to take, uh, you know, this tapeworms, you know, one hundred and one. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, really? They'll let you eat a tapeworm? Fantastic. Ugh. All right, so the second one I've got was titled Shocking People to Death. And hey, all right. When I get into this, you will know this experiment. But Stanley, okay. Stanley Milgram's test are some of the best-known psychological experiments out there, and they say for good reason. In 1961, in the wake of the high-profile trial of Nazi war criminal Adolf Eichmann, Milgram set out to test our obedience to authority figures. The experiment was simple. Subjects were instructed to give a series of escalating electrical shocks to a person in another room. The shock started at 15 volts and ended at a massive 450 volts. Now, although the two people were separated, the subjects could communicate with the person getting the shocks and hear their faked reactions which included screaming, banging on the wall, and complaining of a heart condition. After a while, the person in the next room would stop responding completely. The subjects were not threatened or berated. If they expressed discomfort, they were simply instructed a maximum of four times to keep administering the volts. The results were, quote, shocking. Milgram found... (laughs) That's terrible. I I think this... terrible. I think they didn't mean the pun in this article, but I sure found it. Um, 
Milgram found that a full 65% of the subjects, despite obvious discomfort, administered the final and seemingly fatal 450-volt electric shock to the person in the next room. I do know I do know this experiment. Yeah. I've, I've heard it before. Um Yeah, I mean it is it is kind of a weird weird thing, but it's it's more of a of a human psychology experiment. Yeah. You know, where we're just we're testing, you know, what you'd be willing to do under the false pretense that you're you're harming somebody. Right. You know, what at what point are you going to stop and say I'm not doing this anymore. You know, that's really what they're going for is when are you going to call it off? Not, mm-hmm. you know, not anything else. Um, and it, I mean, it's, it's interesting. It, it sounds gruesome, but you know, nobody was actually getting hurt. Right. But it just, it, other than maybe the people that were being told to administer the shock, you know, <laughs> yeah. they're like, now they're traumatized. Yeah. They have PTSD now from this stupid experiment. But uh, it's just weird. Um, it it seems like a higher percentage of the people continued with the experiment than you would like to think. You would you would like to think that we as humans wouldn't do that, but time and again, it's proven that we do. Well, and and some of that, you know, they extrapolate to the Nazis in World War Two with the the argument that they were just following orders. Sure. And at what point does your own conscious take over against an authority figure telling you to do something? Right. You know, I mean, of course, you know, for Nazi soldiers it was much worse. I mean, you know, if you know, if you if you stop doing something that was a direct order, you know, the likelihood is is that you would either just be shot on sight or at at the minimum, you would be, you know, imprisoned. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, I don't think anybody was worried that they were going to be, uh, they were going to be shot if they didn't continue to shock these people. But no, you know that, the, you know, somebody, uh, you know, a, a college professor, you know, instructing you to do something like that. Um, they have authority. They have authority, and you know, may, maybe it's this idea of. Well, this must be okay because I'm being instructed to do it. Mm-hmm. All right. So the next one I got here is a, kind of an odd title, but it gets odder after this one. But I, this one is odd. It's titled Urine in the Web. <laughs> okay. So in 1955, psychiatrist at the Friedmatt Sanatorium and Nursing Home in Basel, Switzerland, were trying to find a way to diagnose schizophrenia. They fed urine concentrate from 15 schizophrenics to spiders and compared the webs that they spun to those constructed by spiders that had been given researchers urine instead. Well, no systematic differences were found, but the researchers found out one thing. Concentrated urine, quote, must taste extremely unpleasant despite all the sugar that was added, unquote, because the spider's behavior left no room for doubt. Quote, after taking just a sip, the spiders exhibited a marked abhorrence for any further contact with this solution. End quote. (laughs) 
So it, it if, if, concentrate. If you have spiders in your house, just run around and piss everywhere. Yeah, and and they'll leave. Yeah, doesn't matter or, how or much sugar just, you put in it. They just won't. They just won't go into the areas you pissed in. Yeah, they won't eat it. I mean, how did you get a spider to eat piss anyway? That's my question. That's right. Yeah. Did you tell it it's something else? I think that's the that's the bigger experiment. Is how do you get a spider to eat pee? <laughs> but this was 1955. That's right. Yeah. And as we know, there were a lot of weird experiments going on in the 50s, 60s, 70s. So have you have you ever seen that video where they're it it looks like an old film strip and they're uh, they're giving uh, spiders drugs different yes. drugs. Yes, yes. Because oh, I mean. If you've never seen this, you have to find this. It is absolutely hysterical because when it starts, you are a hundred percent convinced that you're watching some old, you know, nineteen seventies film strip from elementary school, and they're taking this Q tip and they're giving spiders THC and and cocaine LSD. And, you know, they give them the spider LSD and it's like, you know, the web took on this weird chaotic because they're using what, like, I can't remember what spider it is. The, orb the whatever, weaver? Orb weaver spiders. Yeah. That make the really pretty webs. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I died when it, when it says, uh, the, what is it? like the, 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 uh, the THC spider. Didn't build a web. It built a hammock. Yeah. <laughs> that, that's when you know. That's when you know what. <laughs> yep. Wait a minute. And, and then the uh, the crack cocaine spider said that uh, building webs was for suckers. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Then you go, crap, I've been had. So. <laughs> yeah, it's great. <laughs> All right, so this next one I got here, it's not, and, and if just real quick, if y'all can hear it, for some reason, my neighbors are setting off car alarms and laughing outside. I guess this time change has made them think, oh, I can do stuff outside that's really annoying now later. Yeah, that's right. Because it's lighter. Anyway, um, this one here, the the title of it, uh, this in here, uh, the, <laughs> I, I went real Southern on you, this in here. Um the title of it's good. This one where cadaver arms were used to punch and slap. <laughs> yep. So it says, here's the gist. Compared to the hand of an ape, a human hand has shorter palms and fingers, but longer thumbs. Some scientists argue that the reason for these differences is not only to improve manual dexterity so that we can use various tools, but also to make the hand usable as a fist during fighting. So to test this so-called pugilism hypothesis, researchers designed a creepy sounding experiment using the severed forearms from 18 male cadavers. The study was published in 2015 in the Journal of Experimental Biology. So this wasn't the 50s. This was 2015. (laughs) This was five years ago. Right. So each arm was mounted on a wooden board and suspended from a pendulum so that the hand could strike a padded surface with force 
when balled up as a fist or when delivering an open-handed wallop with a flat palm. <laughs> so I, I want you to picture this, Matt. You've got <laughs> severed arms that they've balled up into. I don't know how they kept it in a fist, but somehow they kept it in a fist. And you've got these pendulum arms just doing this and thump, thump, hitting things. So <laughs> I want this contraption. Right. I'd set it up as like a, a security system. If you come in my house unwanted, you're getting hit by cadaver arms. <laughs> it's like a, it looks like one of those, uh, the brushes in a car wash. There's yeah. a bunch of arms just flopping around. Smacking, smacking you. you. Yeah. <laughs> Guy comes running from the house. He's like, take me to jail. I've just been slapped by a thousand dead people. <laughs> So, after testing hundreds of fists and slaps, researchers found that a clenched fist packed twice the force of an open hand slap with a tight fist able to strike with 55% more force than a loose fist. Why did we need to test this? Have you not ever been punched or slapped? I mean, I've been slapped and punched. I know which one hurts worse. And why not use cadaver hands? Why not just have a, a human just punch a bag or something? Right, right. I mean, there's a lot simpler ways. There was no need to kill all these 18 people. Well, I guess they didn't kill what, them. They just What were they really trying to prove? That we evolved a better hand for, for fighting? fighting? Yep. Okay. Well, I mean, if if I look at my hand as opposed to a monkey's hand, I'm like, yeah, my ha- I can make my hand a fist and I can punch this monkey. Right. You know, and it's going to be more effective. I'm not going to be worried about this monkey punching me back. No, but Probably. it can rip you apart. Yeah, eating my face. Yeah. But, I mean, that, that just seems like common sense. I Do I need a, a an experiment that proves such? Right. A lot of these experiments are, why did we even do this? Right. What's the yeah, point? What, what did we learn? Yeah. And, and if we learned it, did we really need to learn it? Yeah. Like yeah. the the, th- the woman putting the, thing, the, the bug in her foot. Did, did we really need to, I mean, why do we care? Right. You know, I mean, why, why do we care how these, how these insects mate? I mean, does it, ha, has it solved a greater problem for the human race? Not to know that this? I know of. No. I, I know, I know that this, you know, dead guy hand didn't. I mean, all it does is like, oh yeah, well, you know, I'm like, uh, you know, that's like trying to. I, I can't. I can't even come up. I'm just baffled. What yeah. pisses me off is somebody had to fund this. Yeah, exactly. Because you can't just go run around and get a bunch of cadaver hands. No. Nope. You know, there's not just laying around. Somebody had to had to fund the research. This was a multi million dollar project. I bet you. So that means that somebody had to write this up and present it to a panel of people that were going to approve or disprove this experiment. And nobody on that panel went, why the hell do you want to know this? Right. What, what are we going to, what are we going to glean from such an experiment? Yeah. Why, why Uh, do we need to know if, you know, cadaver hands can punch and slap? I would have, if I would have seen that panel, I would have stood up and taken my hand and went slap. Yeah. Now, how bad did that we, hurt? We know it, and that was free. Yep. Now, wait a minute. Let me ball it up. I got another free one for you here. Now, you tell me which one hurts worse. Oh. 
Well, to finish this one out, it says a tight fist was also shown to reduce the strain on the metacarpals, which are the bones in the palm that connect to the fingers and thumb, to possibly protect these delicate bones from breaking during fights. Still, many scientists don't agree with this theory. Critics argue that if the hands truly evolved for fist fighting, then the face, a main target for fist, would have developed more protective features and would contain fewer delicate bones. (laughs) That's true. Yep. I I believe that. Somebody didn't come out and say that until after this damn study was done. So (laughs) They were like, can't believe you spent all this money on this. Yeah. Let me show you how delicate your face bones are. Come here. Yeah, we can't cure cancer, but we can figure this shit out. Yeah, I can hit things with dead people's arms. Fantastic. <laughs> and I got two more for you, Matt. Second to last one is another one of those, why did we do this damn study? The title is this one where people wore wet underwear in the cold. What? What? Yep. There were, yep. I'll why? just get into oh, it. This, the question is, why do people do it? No, the the title is who, the one where people oh. wore wet underwear in the cold. Oh, oh, okay. okay. My question is why? Yeah, um, why? But in a small study that may seem like it was proving the obvious, researchers in Norway found that wearing wet underwear in cold weather can be very uncomfortable. <laughs> Yep. Again, why fund this? Yeah. Put well, on he, some wet underwear, walk out in the cold, and be like, "Yeah, I hate this." Yeah. Well, it goes more in depth if you're curious. Uh, in 1994 is when this study was done, and it was published in the Journal of Ergonomics. Um, it looked at eight men who sported long underwear tops and bottoms while sitting in a test chamber for 60 minutes in cold temperatures, 50 degrees Fahrenheit or 10 degrees Celsius. Some men wore wet, long underwear bottoms, while the rest wore dry skivvies. Four wet fabrics with different thicknesses were tested. Cotton, wool, polypropylene, and wool polypropylene blended material. Every minute of the experiment, the men's skin temperature, rectal temperature, and weight loss were measured. You ain't sticking that up my Ten different times. Every minute. Every minute, yep. Now, every ten minutes, the men rated how much they were shivering and sweating and how comfortable they felt. As surprising as it may seem, the men in wet undies felt colder and less comfortable than the guys in dry draws. So the researchers concluded that to stay comfortable in cold, wet conditions, an underwear's thickness mattered more than its fabric. No shit, Sherlock. I mean... Here's now this this is this is a hard sell right here. All right, I I need I need some volunteers to be a part of this experiment. Yep. Okay, what we're going to do is we're going to put you in a cold room in just your gonna, underwear. We're going to put put wet underwear on some of you. But for all of you, we're going to put this thermometer in your ass. Yep, every minute. Yeah. What you know, that that would be bad enough, but my thinking is is if they're going to check it every minute, then they just had to leave it there. Right. So you're going to be sitting there cold with this thing in your ass. Mm-hmm. There is nothing, nothing that is appealing about this at all. No. So my question is, how much did they have to pay these clowns to do this? 
Well, being that it says it was a small study, probably not much. Uh, I mean, if somebody said, I'm going to give you a hundred bucks and you're going to let me put this in your for an hour and, and wear cold underwear in a cold room wet and, and you're going to have to report on how you feel. I'm going to be like, no, just give me the hundred bucks. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to feel cold. I'm going to be uncomfortable. I'm going to get mad. And if I have this thing in my, I'm going to be pretty angry about that too. Right. And we'll go back to an older study or no, a future study that they will do about punching people in the face (laughs) with closed hands. Oh man. Again, why? This seems like common sense. You would think, but apparently not. All right. The last one I got will make your skin crawl, Matt. It's the one where a scientist put mites in her ears or in his ears. Uh. Yep. So ear mites are pesky little critters that can cause extremely itchy infections in the ears of cats and dogs. But what would happen if a person caught the infection? Well, one veterinarian volunteered himself to find out. Now, the veterinarian Robert Lopez of New York described the experiment in 1993 in the Journal of American Veterinary Medical Association. Lopez inserted ear mites from an infected cat into his own left ear. He immediately heard scratching and moving sounds as the mites explored his ear canal. Then he experienced an intense itching sensation and the scratching sounds grew louder as the mites headed toward his eardrum. (sighs) Now, it took a month for the infection to go away, Lopez noted, but that didn't stop him from repeating the experiment two more times to see if he could replicate his results, and indeed he could. What results? That it was itchy and got infected? I mean, but with each subsequent infection, his symptoms became less severe and resolved more quickly, suggesting he was developing an immunity to the mites. So what? (laughs) How many times do I have to have ear mites before I'm immune to them? I mean, I don't want them once. That's right. That's a thing, you know, if he just... He, he, he's going to present this as saying, hey, I've figured out that we can develop an immunity to these ear mites. Well, okay. That Fantastic. doesn't necessarily mean that the dog or a cat develop an immunity to it. Right. Um, you know, get them some medicine and treat it. I mean, that, I, again, why, 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 why no? Why, why do we need to know this? Yeah, there's, there's no reason. The people just like experimenting on themselves and others. And I think that's what we found out. They they will do things to people under the guise of this is an experiment. So it's not weird. Yeah. It's for science. Yeah. Let's put you in wet underwear. I will put some ear mites in your ears. Let a, a tapeworm crawl inside you. And I'm going to hit you with a cadaver fist all at the same time. And we'll we'll just fix all of these at, at, at once. Yeah. It's funny because... You know, where where I went to grad school is, um, you know, it, it's a health and science center. It It's a medical school, okay? I'm not a doctor. I don't claim to be. I'm not one in real life. I don't claim to be one on he a just, podcast. He just plays but, one on TV. But, you know, I, I am a medical person. And when you go to college and the entire college is different, is is set up for training, you know, 
medical careers, you you get some odd opportunities mm-hmm. and studies and and experiments and all this kind of stuff. They were we were easy pickings because I mean, poor college students will do damn near anything for a buck. Pretty much. And so, I mean, they just essentially had just this endless supply of guinea pigs running around campus. And it was nothing to see. um, It was nothing to see signs up with, you know, hey, you know, want to be a part of this? You know, call this number. Want to be a part of this thing? Call this number. I did a couple of them. Um, I let, that explains a lot. It does. <laughs> so I, one I did, I, I let, they were, they were test at the time. This is, this is going to age me at the time, uh, electronic blood pressure cuffs for your home were still fairly new. Okay. And quite expensive. You know, now you can buy them at the drugstore for They're like 20 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. But it was an it was it was a newer technology. I mean, the thing where you'd go to the you'd sit at the pharmacy and and sit in the big chair and shove your hand in this thing, and you I wondered still if like it was doing really, that. Yeah, if it was going to let go. Mm-hmm. Um, you know that those were already they, those had been around for a long time, but you know a home unit hadn't. Anyway, long story short is, I got paid twenty five bucks to let you know these examiners check my blood pressure. Uh, I think five times with a regular blood pressure cuff and then five times with an automatic electronic cuff. 25 bucks. So that wasn't even $5 a time. No, I mean, it was, well, yeah, but I mean, it only took like 20 minutes. Yeah. You know, and that one was okay. And there were a few others that friends of mine did. I mean, they did. You know, they would do sleep things where wet you know, underwear you would, in a cold room. Yeah, you you'd, you'd sleep in your underwear. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> with thermometer up your. Yeah, and you know what? I, I I've got a thing about that thing too. Is that warm wet underwear is not a whole lot better. No, um, it but goes anyway, cold quick. There there was there was one, and and this was almost like an urban legend, but it did exist. There was there was some study that would pay you like 500 bucks and everybody when they heard that what is it i'm in you mm-hmm. know 500 bucks you, you yeah I'm, I'm on it but listen to what listen to what they did it was the it was the effects of tylenol is what they were studying so acetaminophen yeah and you had to get your blood drawn like almost every other day, which, you know, so most people would think, God, I don't want to get, I don't want to get stuck, you know, every other day, you know, that would, that would kind of suck, but it's kind of run out of places. Well, they put a pick line in you. Oh, geez. Yeah. So all they had to do was draw the blood off the pick line, but you had to take this Tylenol or, or this acetaminophen so, you know, every day and which a lot of people do, but they were just studying the effects of it. And one of the girls in my class did it. And so she's got like a damn pick line for a month. That's crazy. For 500 bucks. Yeah, that's <laughs> like, crazy. Wait 
wait, what? Not worth it. So, you know, between letting somebody check your blood pressure 10 times and ask somebody actually inserting a pick line so they can draw your blood every other day. Yeah. You know, like you know, it was anything you can imagine in between, you know, there was a sign up. So, you know, I, I know there's a draw for people to be involved in ridiculous experiments because money talks. Sure. You know, sure. you, you, you know, you pay somebody enough money, they'll, they'll probably let you do damn near anything for, you know, to their body. You know, just just shy of causing them severe pain or killing them. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe maybe maiming their face. You know, they'd be like, "No, it ain't worth it." Yeah, keep it below the neck. <laughs> We're gonna punch you with a cadaver arm yeah. twenty five times. Just not for in a the dollar face. A time. Not in the face. <laughs> I make a living with this face. Oh, yeah. all right. Well, insane. Here's a question for you guys: Have any of y'all? taken part in any experiments on college campuses and we're not talking about i was experimenting once at night in college when i was drunk we don't mean that kind of experiment and she was the shoe and we were playing monopoly yeah we we've all had those experience experiments (laughs) so we don't want to hear about that we mean scientific experiments um that you may have taken part of in college or even afterward yeah. Um, if you have any of those, let us know. Um, hopefully it wasn't wet underwear in a cold room or letting anything live inside of you. But we, we don't want any penthouse forum letters. No, <laughs> I never thought it would happen to me. <laughs> That's how they all start. Oh, yeah. <laughs> but if, if any of y'all have any of those, go ahead and send them our way. But, um, we're going to end the episode on that note. So thank you guys for joining us for another Patreon episode. And thank you for your yeah. support. 